Hello, church. Uh, my name is Harrison, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John 14, verses 1 through 7, and also verse 27. Please follow along in your own Bible or in the bulletin. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, well, good morning, True North. Uh, welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff. Uh, I have the privilege of giving today's word. Uh, one, one quick announcement. I know we're supposed to have uh, open gym uh, volleyball uh, this, in this gym right after worship. Uh, that will be canceled uh, due to our uh, coordinator being in health and safety protocol. Uh, so just if you were preparing for that, we apologize. But just for that sake, we won't be having that. Um, but as we look into this passage, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been in a series uh, through the I Am Statements. And I'm going to be completely honest. I'm actually going to break something my preaching class never told me to do. Uh, I, I completely uh, changed this message and this sermon uh, midweek, Wednesday to Thursday-ish, even Friday. And I'm going to be honest, uh, last night, um, just due uh, to what we hopefully all saw, um, read about, are, are still reading about. Uh, in Uvalde, Texas, is 19 children are killed at Robb Elementary School. Two other teachers killed as well. The husband of a teacher also having a fatal heart attack. And my main question in all of this as I was sermon prepping is how, how am I supposed to give a message when this goes on? And before we do move on, um, I wanted to make it clear, but there's no criteria here at our church. There's no, you know, why do we not talk about Buffalo or, 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 or Dallas or the shooting in Irvine? We, look, I, we're, we're kind of traversing this with you. you know, there wasn't a, some sort of meter of like, oh, the, these many people killed, so we got to talk about it. But just in my own heart, as I was preparing this, it, it, it felt apt to directly tackle this. How do we respond as Christians, when we see the world around us falling apart. There's a, a poet by the name of Amanda Gorman. Um, she spoke uh, at the inauguration of President Joe Biden. She had a tweet that uh, has stuck with me uh, since she, she tweeted a couple of hours after the shooting. Um, and it's, it's in the bulletin, I, and I apologize. The bulletin's a little garbled, um, but she writes this. It takes a monster to kill children uh, but to watch monsters kill children again and again and again and do nothing isn't just insanity, it's inhumanity. I know for some that could be a politically charged statement, but the core of that tenet is true. There is a problem in our country. 
There is a problem that we face that most developed countries do not face. The causes and the solutions can be debated, but the problem cannot. There is something messed up. There is something inhumane that we have to go from shooting to shooting to shooting and normalize it in our souls. And the question I want to ask us today is how do you as how do we as Christians, for those who believe in Jesus, in the person that we call Jesus, how do you process that? How do you react to that? Are you even reacting to that? Are you even processing that? And maybe to those who don't believe, well, what does Jesus offer us in these times? And there's one verse, you know, in the beginning of, of the sermon preparation, it was completely different, but I was going to change the text as, as I was talking to our lead pastor, but I kept to it because Jesus begins and ends this passage with a very apt reminder to his disciples, and I think it is very fitting for our time. Verse one, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also in me. And I added verse 27 for a reason. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How do we get there? in a time like this, in a place like this. Because the problem is, if you're like me, you realize we are stuck in this country in a feedback loop of violence, of polarization, of just bickering. If you go on Twitter, it gets even worse. And this feedback loop is this. You see a shooting happen. You know someone watching that wants to shoot people sees that happen, and then it happens again and again and again and again. And when you're stuck in this feedback loop of violence and, and shootings and mass killings in our country, it leaves you exhausted and numb. It's crazy to me that Buffalo happens within two weeks of Uvalde. And we think, if you're just a logical human being, you realize something is linked. We're stuck in this feedback loop of violence and what do we do? And for one, I, I think, and I'm going to be honest, if this message is a little bit garbled, I apologize. But one, there is a benefit to this, and I say this lightly, because when you watch these stories happen, these are not stories that are rare, but I've realized in True North, in the Silicon Valley, I'm going to be very blunt and honest, we are living in a bubble of comfort. Many of us are paid very well. We, we drive in cars that we don't even need to steer. We can work from home. And those aren't bad things. I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone here. But what that has happened, and, and as Christians, you need to realize this, we are living in a bubble. It's not reality. The problem with the bubble is it's translucent. It's see-through. So we think we have a grasp of reality. But the closer you get to the gap of that bubble, you realize there's some distortion to things outside. Because you think life is fine. Oh, the stock market took a hit. Oh, the cryptocurrency took a hit. But I'll be okay. But these, these shootings happen and you realize, wait, something is off. There's a distortion in my reality. And the question I want to ask us today as Jesus presents us is this. How do we process and respond to these times of crisis as those who say we are following the way, we are following the way of Jesus? Because if we're honest, it seems as if God has left and this is such an apt passage for this time because what Jesus tells disciples is, I am leaving, and they freak out. 
And he begins, after he says, I'm going to leave you, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There was a message I was gonna preach on that was gonna go a little bit different, but today I really wanna focus on how can Jesus tell us in this time of watching 19 kids be gunned down and cops waiting for an hour to get in, how can he tell us not to be troubled? Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How does that play out for us? There's two simple truths I hope to leave us with today. The first is that we need to hope for our actual home, and the second is not to lose our humanity. But the first is this, how does Jesus get us to not trouble our hearts? We need to hope for our home, our true home. This is not our home. And, we hope, and I hope the news reminds you of that. Because you know, oftentimes uh, I've seen on social media and I've probably been on it too much the past week, some argue this isn't gonna happen to you. Why do you worry about this? And they're right. Statistically, your, if you are a parent like myself, your child has a very minimal risk of being killed in a school shooting. But as a Christian, that should not stand. Elizabeth Brunig, she's, a, she's an author, she's also a, a Catholic writer, but she writes this, which I found extremely helpful. She's a parent just like me, and uh, for myself, I'm, I'm a millennial, and, and for me, when Sandy Hook happened, a couple of years back, I was like, man, that's horrible. But to see this happen with two kids of my own that are about to enter into elementary or, or, or kindergarten is a completely different story. Elizabeth Brunig writes this as a mom of two children, probably similar to my uh, kid's age. I've been ridiculous so many times in the hour since the shooting, glancing in on my sleeping children with hawkish nervousness. Like a first-time mother fretting over a newborn, pacing on the front porch, awaiting their arrival home, unfocused and unsteady until I can see their faces and hear their voices. I know it's a statistical anomaly. I know it almost never happens. I know there are a million things I worry less about that happen with greater regularity and also worse effects for my kids. But those things are unfortunate and this is evil. Misfortune is awful, but this was something worse. This was torture. This was cruel. This was intentional. The distinction matters. Why should we care as Christians to something that will rarely, if not ever, happen to our own children? Because it is evil and it is not of this place we call home. And Jesus makes that clear. Why did, why did the shooting shake all of America to its core. Because deep down inside, no matter what you believe, you know in, this, in the core of your humanity as a human being, you know this is not normal. This should not be happening. Because deep down inside, every human being understands this is not our home. It's interesting that Jesus turns to a picture of a mansion as a comfort for his disciples when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. What's his first imagery to help his disciples? He basically says, yo, God has a mansion and there's a lot of rooms. Why does he say that? It's interesting to me that Jesus turns to a picture of, man, uh, of a, a large house 
as comfort for his disciples. Why is that? Because when you think about it, what is a home? What should it be? Not just physically, but I'm talking about metaphorically and metaphysically. What is a home? A home is more than just four walls and a roof. That's why you spend so much money on it. A home is a place you are supposed to go to be resting. A home is supposed to be a place where you go when you're not working, although the pandemic changed that. A home is supposed to be a place where your family can have meals, enjoy life, not work, but be together, watch Netflix, binge that show, be on your iPad, be on your phone, lay down on your sofa and hope that no one knocks because you look very, you know, just like, I'm just chilling, man, because that's home. Home is ultimately a place of rest. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what heaven is. He could have said, look, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, also believe in me. Await, what awaits you is a castle. What awaits you is a battleground. He could have said so many things, but he says, no, it's a mansion that awaits you because our home, where we're supposed to be, where Eden originally was, was a place of safety and rest. And that should radically change our outlook and response to this broken world now, especially in light of the news. We should be as Christian, Christians, the loudest ones shouting for hope and justice for humanity in troubled times because we realize this is not our home. This is not how it's supposed to be. And this is the thing, if you numb yourself to this truth, and I'm, look, I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but if you read the news and you're like, man, that sucks, another shooting, another, peop, another, another kid's dead, that, that's horrible. If that is your response, and I'm gonna be honest, you know what sickened me as I, as I thought in hindsight was, and I was talking to my lead pastor about this. If you remember the day of the shooting, the first reports was only two kids were killed. And I was like, oh. In my sickened mind, I said, that's not too bad because we've seen worse. You see, if we are numbing ourselves to the news of tragedy, to the news of evil, although it's statistically impossible to happen to you and your children, if you numb yourself to that type of news, what you're telling yourself is you've made this world your home. You've made that vocation you are chasing your home. You have made your salary your home. You have made your goals your home. So you just say, well, this is just what home is, and I gotta deal with it. As Christians, we gotta be the loudest ones that say, no, this is not the way it should be. And you know this. I hope this isn't, you know, mind-breaking truth to you. But the problem is this hope is so easily lost for human souls. Same for Thomas. What happens in this passage? Jesus says, let not, hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, disciples. And you have to, let me give you some historical context. Uh, the Jews were in a place of extreme distress. You know, they were being militarily destroyed. They were being in, held captive in a different place that's not their home. So when they meet a guy named Jesus saying, I'm going to save you, they're ecstatic. They're like, you can bring some hope into this brokenness. And yet Jesus says, in, in John 13, I'm a bounce, but I'll be back. And of course they're troubled. So Jesus says, no, look, look, there's hope for you. And, and what does Thomas say in response? Thomas said to him, after he talks about this house, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. Why does Thomas say that? Jesus says exactly where you are going. 
See, Thomas, his problem was he wanted this hope to be a tangible reality right now. He's like, dude, Jesus, I don't want this hope to be in the future. I want it to happen right now. Fix this right now. Don't leave. And Jesus gives an interesting response. What does he say? He doesn't give another metaphor or another story. He doesn't even give another question. He's very straightforward. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's so much to be said about this. And I wish, not that I wish, but if it was a different time, in a different sermon, there could be much to be espoused about this. But one thing I want to make clear to you is this. When Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying, that hope that I'm telling you, I, Jesus, the human body that you see in front of you, Thomas, I am the way to that hope. What does that mean? Our access to this hope is a personal relationship in Jesus. And I know you've heard that before and it sounds naive. It sounds cringeworthy. It sounds like, ugh. That's just like, that's kind of in, in, in the Christian Hallmark movies. I don't want to hear about that. But there's a profound truth to what Jesus is saying. Any God before Jesus, it was always a huge gap. You'd have to do things to get to him. Jesus comes to his disciples, comes to us in a human bodily form. And what he says is, when he says, I am the way to that hope, what he's saying is, for you to have access to this hope in troubled times, it's a personal relationship. And what is a personal relationship? It's a relationship of constancy. This is what I mean. For many Christians, including myself and maybe including you, you think, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm good. I was baptized, I'm good. Oh yeah, I, I said I believe in Jesus like 10 years ago, I'm good. Oh, the Bible, that's cool, but you know, I believe. I have hope. If that's your way of thinking what our faith is, when these times hit you, your faith will dissipate. Because what Jesus is getting at is, in any constant relationship, there needs to be constant communication and reminders. Even in my own marriage with my wife, there was an act, a legal act that said we are married. And no matter what I do until she says and goes to the court and she wants to divorce me, no matter, until that point, I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but hypothetically, right? If that does happen, to that point, whatever I do does not change the legal status of our marriage. But if I told you as your pastor, oh, when's the last time you talked to your wife? It's been like three years, but don't worry, we got married. What would you tell me? It's like, that's not a marriage, bro, right? That, that's some weird, like, male bride order stuff. Like, that's not a marriage. What I'm trying to get at is this. Um, your hope, when I talk about heaven and all this stuff, you're like, oh, I, I get it. Do you? Do you really get it? Like, are you reminding yourself of this constantly over and over again? Because if you are not, then you lost it. If Jesus is not constantly in your life, you have lost it. Uh, Hebrews 6.19 is one of my favorite verses. The, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. We have this hope in Jesus as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope in Jesus as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What is he saying? He's saying, look, your hope in Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is like an anchor. Like, oh, that's cool. Um, if you're like me, I thought an anchor was just dead weight. Because it's like, okay, if that's true, then like, if Jesus died for me, I'm good. That's the dead weight. It dropped, the cross was done, that's, that's the anchor drop, and I'm good. But if you didn't know, anchors have not changed. And even uh, in these times, the idea of an anchor has still stayed the same. An anchor for a boat does not work off dead weight. 
I never knew this. Have, have, you, have you seen an anchor before? If you, if you see any anchor, even in historic times, it's this pole with these two little sticky ends that kind of look like a fork, right? Why is that? Because if you just drop dead weight into the ocean, the current's going to take you away from that place. The current's too strong. For an anchor to work, you need dead weight to drop. There needs to be dead weight. There needs to be an event that happens, but the boat needs to constantly sway over and over and over again for that anchor to dig deeper and deeper into the seabed floor. If that doesn't happen, then the ship does not anchor. Then a ship will just coast away from that actual place it's trying to stay at. Do you get what I'm telling you in these times? If you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in this guy named Jesus, and yeah, my hope is an anchor, is it actually digging deeper and deeper and deeper? This hope that we have, we, it sounds so elementary and simple, but it's so hard to make a reality. And what happens is when you see Uvalde happen, if this hasn't been a constant reminder of you, then you're like, oh man, that sucks. Well, I got, I got, a, I got a report to finish. When you don't make your hope a constant reminder in your life, you make this world your home and you've lost. The anchor needs to dig over and over and over again. And let me do a quick tangent. I wanna be careful in how I say this. There's been a lot of talk about thoughts and prayers. Some about the futility of it, some, other, some others only using that as their only response to the shooting. Often, those on the left generally will mock those that say, your thoughts and prayers do absolutely nothing. And there's a point where I agree that for some politicians, and I look on both sides, thoughts and prayers look different on the right and the left. On the right, it might be actual thoughts and prayers. On the left, it might be a black square. Thoughts and prayers on themselves do absolutely nothing to change the world. But as Christians, what you need to realize is thoughts and prayers change you. The reason we're called to think and pray about these shootings is not so that you can change the world through that and be like, oh, I've done enough. It's to remind yourself as you look at this evil, this is not my home. And I have a greater hope. And that will not happen unless you think about it and pray about it. Thoughts and prayers are powerful. And I'm gonna get to this part where like without action, they're meaningless. But thoughts and prayers in these times are important for your own soul to not lose your own hope as a Christian. Hope for a different home. Anchor yourself in that. Dig deeper, constantly remind yourself. The reason we're called to read and pray is not to become holier. It's to remind ourselves that we've been made holy. So anchor yourself in that hope that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But secondly, as we hope for our home, and this will almost seem like it's contrasting, but I will try and keep it in tension. At the same time, keep your humanity in these times. Keep your humanity in these times. Don't lose your humanity. What I mean by that is this. This feedback loop of violence that I'm getting at, that this, it seems like it just never ends. What sickens me is I know this is not the last shooting of 2022. And deep down inside, you know that's true too. The problem is when you're stuck in this loop, not only does it numb you, but it exhausts you. Look already even to this year, 
Buffalo, New York, you have a crazy white supremacist walk into a supermarket and live stream himself shooting at only African-American customers. I, I, and this, I even forgot about this too. In Dallas, a couple of weeks ago, a deranged man goes to a Korean hair salon and shoots and kills three hairdressers. A Taiwanese church in Laguna Woods, a, a crazed person comes in and tries to shoot down the whole place but one doctor with his own life saves the whole congregation. Uvalde happens. And, and man, the more I read about the ineffectiveness of the response, that the kids were doing the right things, but the ones with power were not, it exhausts you. And this is the thing. When you're in constant state of grief and trauma, it disables you to actually feel and be a human being. Because your only natural defense mechanism, I don't care how hardened you are, I don't care, oh, I'm a T on the Myers Brig, because I'm like that too, I don't care what you say. Your defense mechanism, no matter who you are, is you're just gonna numb yourself to this. And what you're doing is you're losing a sense of your humanity. You're losing what it means to be a human being. Because this is the thing, when you, when you read about these shootings, people turn into numbers, pixels, and push notifications. We have to resist those urges to see that the image of God is present in every single human being and that there's weight to that. The reason why it's exhausting to hear about these shootings is because it should be. That's how heavy the, the weight of an image of God prayer is. Genesis 9-6, God says this to those after the fall. After the Cain and Abel debacle of the first murder on planet Earth, God says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his, shall his blood be shed, for God made man his own image. What God's basically saying is, if you take a life as a human being, your life can be taken in justice. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound Christian. It's very Christian. But because God's, what, what God's saying is, he's not at the retribution. He's not saying we gotta punish this guy but he's saying that life you took is that valuable that the only way to make things right is to take another. That's what God is saying. Do you get what God is saying? The image of God in every human being, whether you believe in God or not, is that worthy. And when you look back at this passage, one of the main reasons the disciples are so pissed off at Jesus, and this is the thing, in the Gospel of John, they're always questioning Jesus. The reason they're so troubled with Jesus is because they realize his own humanity. They realize, wait a second. Jesus, he seems crazy. He seems like he could be God, but he's also very human. He takes a lot of naps. Right? He eats a lot with kids, right? He, 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 he isn't what we thought he was, and that's important for us to realize. In the beginning of John, Jesus says, the word became flesh, the truth. When, when, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, he's saying, I am God. And there's nothing untrue about that. But realize this, if he's saying, I am the way and the truth, God became flesh. God became human. And what Jesus is showing us in contrast to, yes, you are going to a place called heaven and is so much better than this broken place called earth, but your humanity on this earth, human beings on this earth, they are dearly important. And let me show you, let me become human myself. 
the church has done a horrible job at proclaiming this truth. Most Christians, what they believe is like, look, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. Can't wait for that to happen. That's part of the story. If that was the main part of the story, Jesus would not have come as a human being. Like, let, let's, let's do a thought experiment. God could have saved us in any manageable way. He could have just been like, the moment you believe, you're going to heaven. Why, does not, why doesn't that happen? That would be nice. I wouldn't have to deal with this. I wouldn't have to watch kids being killed in the news. Why are we still here on this earth after we believe? Because humanity is that important to God. You know, in verse 27, when, when Jesus says, I, I'm here to give you peace, and peace I give to you, one thing he says is, not as the world gives do I give to you. The world does a really good job of subtracting humanity down to numbers, to salaries, to political affiliations, to possessions. And what you see is not a human being. You, you might see an object to use. You might see someone that's an enemy because they're not on your political affiliation. You might see someone that annoys you so they're not human, they're just an annoyance. Jesus challenges you and says, do not do what the world does to other human beings. Never forget that we and, and those around us carry the image of God. That the 19 kids killed carry the image of God. And it's, it's exhausting, but that's the weight of humanity. And how do you respond to that then? How do you keep your humanity in times when humanity is being taken away from us? Well, you have to learn to live life abundantly, especially in times like these. And this, sound, this might sound like a kumbaya type of advice, but it's very biblical. Jesus, when he comes in chapter 10 before, and again, I saw, if I'm a little garbled, I apologize, but Jesus comes back in chapter 10 before and he says, the reason I've come to save you to give you, to redeem you. But one thing he says is, John 10, 10, I have come that you or they may have life and have it to the full, to live it abundantly. As we fight for hope in these troubled, broken times of shootings happening on the news, we are called to live not in fear, but in the fullness of love. There's a black theologian by the name of Dante Stewart, and he put a beautiful piece up he says, in troubled, dark days, what requires of us is deep love. There's a long passage I want to uh, read from him, which I found to be very helpful. He wrote this uh, the morning after the shooting. And as many of us realized, the, shooting, the, the kids' deaths could have been saved if the police acted accordingly. And this is what he wrote. When we are faced with so much inhumanity, we need an alternative, alternative imagination that accepts our humanity, fights for it, embraces it, and reminds us again and again and again and again that this life is not just about resisting all this brokenness, but it's about creating something different, something better. We hold grief. We know terror. But we also know the love that refuses to let this world have every part of us. And it is our job to hold it, love it, protect it, honor it, so that it doesn't grow cold under the weight of the world. Whatever part that is in your hand and in your mind and on your lips, protect it. Do whatever you must to feel again, to remember the dead, to fight for the living, to not let their suffering or your own be in vain 
or erased. What Dante is, is getting at, which I think ultimately what Jesus is telling us is, is the same thing. Don't allow the numbness and exhaustion of this broken, evil world to snatch away the simple joys of humanity. You know, Dante wrote in this piece, the, the, the day after I chose to send my kid to school because I will not let the fear of what happened, the evil would happen, take away the simple joys of my son saying, what's up, Asa? Saying hi to his teachers, enjoying time with his classmates, eating lunch with his classmates. I will not let the world take that away. It's a simple truth. To keep our humanity, you have to live your humanity. And shootings like Uvalde should remind you, are you doing that? I'm gonna be honest, in the Silicon Valley, and, and, I, and I get on this a lot, and Jay gets on this a lot, what is the world you've made your home? Is it your vocation? Is it your salary? Is it your real estate? Is it your investments? Is it your whatever? And look, those are important, and there's biblical frameworks for that. But think about Jesus and how he spent his life in times of brokenness. He ate a lot of meals. You know, meals in, Old Testament, in the New Testament, they took three hours. When's the last time you spent a meal with three hours with someone? Jesus took a lot of naps, a lot of naps. And disciples got pissed, what are you doing? Jesus would be like, I'm just being a man, dude. You should try it sometime. Take a nap, slow down. Jesus lived a slow, deliberate life because he understood the fragility of a broken world. When you move quickly in this world, you forget how fragile this world is. Cherish every single moment you have. That is a calling from God. That is not some new world advice. If you have kids, spend every moment you can with them. If you have friends, fill your time with them. If you have a vocation, do that well, but spend time with what makes you human. Your salary does not make you human. Your investments do not make you human. Your career goals do not make you human. The image of God does. And let that shine. In conclusion, and I want to end it this way, hope for a new home don't lose your humanity and do this all by looking to Jesus' life. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's ultimately saying is, look at my fullness of life. Look at my whole ministry. Look at what my three years I've done on this earth with you guys. Look all of it because it is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. And look at Jesus' life. It's full of empathy. When Jesus says, I have the Father's house and I prepare many rooms, I'm preparing it for you. What he's saying is, how does he prepare that? Just as 19 kids were executed by a deranged man, we have a Savior who was executed by deranged people. We have a Savior who understands the terror those kids felt when that shooter walked into that classroom. We have a Savior that understands the pain of the parents losing their kids when it shouldn't have been that way. We have a savior when you're going through this and you're like, I have no idea how to process this. We have a savior who says, I'm right there with you. Don't lose hope. Keep your humanity because I've come down on this earth to save you. Peace I give you. I prepare a place for you. Understand this. Look to Jesus' life constantly like an anchor and be like, man, we have a savior 
who understands the terrors of this world and yet as a human man saves us. And let me add a little caveat at the end. We have a savior who also demands action and changes upon this earth. Jesus flipped the tables of the temple for a reason. He didn't have to do that. If you don't know the story, Jesus walks in the temple and is pissed off because he sees injustice and a system that is broken, which is the Jewish temple system, and he just makes a mess of it. He makes action happen. He doesn't just think and pray, but he actually makes action happen. Now, this is the thing. I know in this room, when you see Uvalde, there's so many different solutions. And as Christians, we have the freedom to, to debate that. But one thing I ask you to do this, when you see these things, you have to move into action. Maybe it's not to, you know, maybe it is to call your senator to let your own opinion known. Maybe it is to write something or to talk to your, to your friends, but it demands an action. Because if not, there's some cognitive distance happening. Because then you don't understand who Jesus is. When you see these moments of tragedy, act because we have hope to do so. Change this world and make it a better place. Not so that we can live in Kumbaya, but because heaven is coming down. And that is our calling. That's why Jesus left us on this earth. So that we can bring a glimpse of heaven to those who don't know who he is. And at the same time, Jesus does that, flips the temples, but at the same time brings hope and empathy to all those around him. And lastly, I might get in trouble for this, but it's fine. Um, there's, a, there's a pastor by the name of Duke Kwan, and he put it really well. The problem in America is not the idolatry of guns, it's the idolatry of freedom. The freedom to choose, the freedom to get a firearm whenever you want, the freedom to be whoever you want to be at the cost of everyone else. You can take that whatever way possible, because I know whatever political affiliation you are, you, that, that triggers you. But look to Jesus. What did Jesus do with his freedom? He had every freedom in the world. And yet he chose to forgo all that freedom to come onto this broken place called earth to save us. We worship a God who gives up his freedom so that those around him can have actual freedom, eternal life. And look, you might think, oh, politically that could mean anything. I'll, I'll challenge you this one thing. You do have one freedom that I can say very bluntly. You have the freedom to care or not to care in this country. You have the freedom to care or not to care. And what Jesus is telling you on the cross is, I gave up everything to give you life. Can you do the same for those around you? For those who don't know who Jesus is, this is the path and this is the way, this is the life that awaits those who follow Jesus. Not of commandments, not of rules, not of not drinking or not dancing. It's to live life to the fullest as God intended us to do so. So in, in, in light of these tragedies and shootings and evil that we see, allow us to trust that that is our God and that is our calling. To bring hope to ourselves and those around us and to not to lose our humanity as we look to Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, it's probably been a tough week for a lot of us as we watch the news and it's so easy to dismiss this or future acts of evil as just, oh, this is a part of life. And it is not. It is not how you intended life to be. This is not the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of Satan that we're seeing play out in front of our eyes. 
Lord, as we see this, we, we, we might be angry, we, we might be numb, but before anything, allow us to find hope by looking to Jesus, by seeing who he says he is, by giving us a hope not detached from heaven, looking down saying, oh, pitiful human beings, I'll save you, but a savior that comes down to this earth, feels the pain of those children being killed, feels the pain of those parents and says, I'm with you. Allow us to embody that for ourselves and for those around us. And Lord, allow us not to lose our humanity. You have given something precious called the image of God to every human being. As Christians, allow us to acknowledge that, not only to those around us, but even to our own lives. That as we see tragedies unfold, allow it to be reminders of how am I even living my own life? Have I lost my humanity even before life has been taken from me? So Lord, allow us to turn to you for hope, for safety, for worship, and ultimately a freedom that you give us, that you cleanse our sins with your blood. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.